So since Easter, Pastor Chris has had us looking at what happened next, um, what happened after the resurrection, which has been great. You know, usually we kind of culminate in Easter and then we go on to another theme. But it's been wonderful. You know, we did the road to Emmaus like two weeks ago and then we talked about Paul, uh, Peter being kind of restored. So today we're going to keep going with that. We're going to read the final lines of the book of Matthew. And then we're going to read the first lines of the book of Acts. My hurting a little bit. There we go. Scott's with me. All right, here we go. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And then we're going to jump up over in a second to Acts 1, verses 3 through 9. And I'll, I'll read these to you. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've, I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Let me read that again. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now jump with me over to Acts. After his suffering... He, and it's Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, and he's talking about John the Baptist. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Well, thank you, Lord, for your word. Those are pretty powerful scenes. Um, Kathy and I, the other day, uh, we ordered a new washer-dryer, and they were delivered. They were really pretty. They looked great. The, they came exactly when they said they would come. We connect, they connected them, which is even better. Um, it was great. They, they were twins, so they looked really nice next to each other. And we, we looked at them. They were wonderful. But it came time to use them, and of course, we used the washer, and the washer was great. And then we got to the dryer, and to open the door of the dryer sounded like a rifle shot went off. Like it was just really where it was like too tight on the metal. But when, first of all, you really had to get into it. But when you opened it, it was like every single time. And then, of course, when you shut it too. So, you know, you kind of think, all right, we'll learn to work with this. It's okay. We can get used to this. You know, we'll just get used to firing guns off in the house or that sound. But then we started it in its cycle of the dryer. And it, it seriously sounded probably more, a little louder than what it would be to have a stampede of camel running, camels running through your house. It was just like, you know, and it, was, it was a horrible sound. It sounded like those camels were being tortured, while, while they, which is why they were stampeding. And so, so I mean, there, there really wasn't any question of whether we could work with it. You know, it's like, no, we really can't work with this. You know, you would, you would never be able to use it at night, because like the entire neighborhood would be wake, woken up, but really not even in the day. So Kathy is really, really good about this. She made this decision-making process of like, let's return it. And so we returned it. 
And you know, for most of us, we go through that kind of same thing. There are these things that have defects and we have to go through a decision of can we work around the defect? Can we live with it? Um, so we have other defects. Uh, right now our front door squeaks when you open and close it, so we won't replace the front door. We'll, we'll fix it with WD-40. Uh, some of you guys, your car right now has bad alignment and you're learning how to, like until you get it fixed, you're learning how to, to overcome it. Sometimes you reach for a pen and you really need to write something quickly and it, it doesn't go and you start writing on everything else. You learn to work around it. I know a lot of you guys have like one sticking key on your computer keyboard that, you know, after a while there are certain moments where you're not really ready to replace it or to get it fixed so you actually like can't hit that letter. So you'll, you'll find some other way to find that letter and you'll control C, you'll copy it, and every single time it's time to type that letter, you'll control V, you'll paste it in there. You know, you, you develop these workarounds, and sometimes you get so caught up in the workaround that you forget what it's like to actually for things to work, um, which is tough. Um, some of you guys have phones that are really slow, they're freezing up constantly. Some of you guys have ovens where one burner doesn't work anymore, you know, but you, you've got three others, why, why do you need to fix it, right? So I, um, I think the question is always at what point the pain of the defect motivates you to do something about it. That's the real question. And since the day in the garden when Adam and Eve pulled away from God's life-giving presence, after being tempted by the enemy, you and I carry around a continual defect within us that both keeps us back from experiencing and enjoying God's presence and that gets worse because of being disconnected from his presence. Isn't that interesting? The fall and our carnality kind of keeps us back from the presence of God. And then the more you're back from the presence of God, the worse you get. It's a, it's a bad defect. And thank goodness we celebrated on Easter the remedy. Um, we were created in God's image for sweet, intimate fellowship with his presence. But this damage that occurred to us that day in the garden creates enmity or that word means resistance or hostility to this life we were made for, to his life, to his ways, to his power, to his kingdom, and to his presence. The other day, Kathy and I were with a young person who was coming to faith. They were struggling with God. And yet the Holy Spirit was with us as we were meeting together. And the person basically kind of pointed to the rules and the laws and the restrictions and the sacrifices of the Old Testament and basically said, if God is so wonderful, if he's so relational, explain all this religious religiosity and all this uh, ceremonial stuff. And we had to say, the weirdness and the religiosity that you think you touch in the Old Testament, which part of it is you don't understand it, has way less to do with who God is and way more to do with how weird we are. It has to do with our brokenness. God, if you watch him in trying to restore us, has to go to meet us where we are, piece by piece, step by step, to draw us into intimate relationship, to draw us back into his presence. And we're a little bit weird. Um, when humans are not close to God, we struggle with shame, guilt, and hopelessness. And so we create systems to try to make ourselves right. When you encounter religions across the world, this is what you see. They're creating their own ways based on their own effort to try to be right again with God. And it's not always just religion. If you don't think this is in you as a person, watch yourself. 
Like, how many games do you play on your phone to get from this level to that level to that level to that level? It is in us to, in every way possible, try to do something that makes us right, righteous, important, good. We do it in our jobs. You know, you do it in school. You do it in the way your front lawn looks. You do it constantly. There is this, this deficit. There is a defect in us. And we're constantly trying to, to overcome it. So this is why we talk so much about God being relational. Like we talk so much here in this church and in all the things that we do, we talk about the fact that God is a relational God. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. To obey is better than sacrifice. We're constantly pushing for that. We choose religion over relationship as a part of our fallen and carnal nature. We're so broken that we can't stop earning our worth long enough to see loving others as important. And you know, if you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. So across scripture, um, we see God meeting us where we are and moving us from being a religious people to being a relational people. And I want to say this is a really important point today. I think I realized as I was getting ready for this message that I have made some mistakes in the way that I look at this. I think it's really, really true that by our nature we are kind of religious people and he is moving us into understanding that we're called to be relational. But I actually think there's a whole other part of this which is becoming not just no longer a religious people and not just a relational people, but to becoming a people of his presence. And that's what I would like to talk about today. I'm going to explain it real quick. Um, we read Matthew 28, and we get to the part where Jesus is saying, and lo, I am with you always. And the thing that we think there is that he's being a good friend. Because we're kind of in this space of talking about relationship. Oh, God's not religious. He's relational. He's going to be with us. Thank God. It's going to be better with him. He didn't leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's with us. Um, and it is a big improvement over missing that God is relational. We don't want to let that go. But Jesus, in this verse, and then you see it again with what he's saying to them at the beginning of Acts, he's not just talking about being relational. He's talking about who he is. All right? Um, he's talking about something deeper. Think about this. It's not just important that God is relational, but that God who is relational is inviting us to know him and to relate to him and to encounter him. Um, for instance, you don't just say that a person is a good cook and just always talk about that they're a good cook. Sooner or later, you go and you eat the things that they cook and they're amazing, right? You don't just talk about the fact that somebody's a good artist or a good musician, but sooner or later, you touch their art. And when we just talk about the fact that he's relational, it's like talking about an adverb instead of the noun of who he is. So, yes, he has made a way for us to come boldly into Father's presence and to relate again to God. But guess who he is? I mean, that's the thing that we miss. He is the powerful, divine, life-changing presence of God. And I want to touch this because I think, for me at least, I've been missing it. We make a big deal out of Jesus offering withness. Behold, I will be with you always. We focus on him not leaving us alone. But we, but we lose the focus of the I will be with you. It's not just that God is with us, but that this God is with us. 
It's not just about where he is, but it's about who he is. Across scripture, the people who encounter God encounter his Shekinah glory. It's his glorious presence. They become a people of his presence. And it's the thing that changes everything across scripture. Think about his glorious presence would come into the garden in the cool of the day and they would have fellowship with his presence. What do they lose in the fall? They lose the presence, right? When Abraham has the encounter that calls him to go to Canaan and then in Bethel, it's an encounter with the presence of God. Abraham becomes a person of his presence. Um, at the burning bush at Mount Horeb where the Lord appears to Moses, the bush is on fire but it's not being consumed and, and there's the presence of God that he encounters that changes Moses and, and leads him back into Egypt to grab a people who are led by, what is it? It's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's the presence of God. So much so that Moses gets to a point where he's talking to God after going up over and over again to Mount Sinai to be in the cloud, to be in the presence. So dramatic is this experience on Mount Sinai that when he comes down, he has to veil his face because of the, the glory of God that he's touched. And when he comes down, um, he, they, they, they're scared. <laughs> they're scared um, because they're, they're scared of the power that he's touched. Um, we see it with David. We see it with Isaiah over and over again. We see it with Jesus as God's miraculous power brings words of life through his mouth and miraculous healing and power through his ministry. So when Jesus is saying, I will be with you, he's not just saying that, he, that we won't be alone. There's a big difference. Jesus isn't just saying, don't worry, I'll still be with you. you know, and that's our problem these days, is we're very inclined to see things from our perspective. We come to a church that we like, that was a nice service, Jamie did okay today. He's not quite crisp, but yeah, I didn't fall asleep. You know, like, uh, oh, the worship was good. You know, I thought the drummer did a good job. You know, we're, everything in our lives is a consumer product. We decide how many stars to give it, write a quick review, and we go on. But God is not really that. <laughs> He's not really concerned with your user review of him. <laughs> he is more interested in you changing then he is interested in him changing to fit you. And you will change. That's the thing. With you is about you. With him, the glorious presence, the life-changing presence, the presence that creates things out of nothing to exist, the presence that lifts the dead out of their graves and brings life into them again. There's a big difference between you just thinking that you've got a God who's your buddy and between you becoming a person of his presence. And there's a big difference between a church that is a group that talks about God and a people of his presence. And we really, really, we want that. That's what we want. You know, we're a church that has had an experience of this. Uh, there, were, there have been all across history, the history of the church. You have to think about it. That day, when we read about an Acts, Jesus says, Stay and wait for this treasure to come into your hearts. Stay and wait for the presence. And they wait. And when the presence comes in, everything changes. Do you know that day in the upper room where the Holy Spirit descends, that's the day the church becomes the church. That's when we become who we are. We are not the church 
without his presence. Now, we can have a bad day. I'm not, not saying like uh, there won't be ups and downs. But it is his presence which creates the church, right? And it's the power of the Holy Spirit in you. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's that presence, that treasure that changes everything. And it's not about how can you get God to make this life you're already living better. It's about how do you go with him into his life-changing presence that will make life incomprehensible beyond anything you could believe. In the cross-biblical history after the book of Acts, obviously there were experiences of his presence. There's the moment of Stephen who's filled with the spirit. There's, you can go on and on about these great Great people, and a lot of the denominations that exist today, like the Methodists, were people that had an experience of his presence in a key moment. But even across this century, there was the Azusa Street Revival, and there was an experience for the Pentecostals where they had experienced something. There were the tent revivals across the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, where people like William Branham and people where the power of God would show up. But what was wild is in the 1960s, uh, the group that they talk about is starting with was a group of Catholic students who were praying and at Duquesne University. But the Holy Spirit started to fall. The presence of God started to come in and it wasn't just to Catholics, it was to Episcopalians, it was to Presbyterians, it was to Methodists, it was to everybody. There was an experience where you couldn't walk into a bus stop without experiencing the manifest presence of God. Um, There's so many stories, and there's a lot of people in this room who experienced that and got to be a part of that. And while we don't want to hold that up as something that, oh, it's unattainable and we can't experience, we also don't want to devalue that and not recognize, Lord, we want your presence to be with us today at least like that. (laughs) Yeah, go deeper, but at least like that. And some of the people that you've experienced in this church, I'm going to talk about some of the people who have passed because I don't want to put any of the cool people here today on the spot. But you could sense when you talked to the former pastor of this church, John Duke, you could sense that he was a man of the presence of God. You sensed the presence. It was almost overwhelming sometimes for me because I would be sharing a story and he would be ahead of me in the story, encouraging me. Yeah, yeah, and it created so much momentum for my story. I'd have to be like slowing down. Um, you guys have heard stories about where we were in the hospital with Nina and they were being mean to Kathy and Nina was strapped to a board and he just walks into the room because I told him I'm scared the doctor's being mean to Kathy. He walks into the room praying in tongues, and just praying in tongues at a hospital over by Emory. Within a few seconds, they unstrap our little girl They lift her up and say, she's fine, you can go now. Like, everything changed. That's what it is to be a person of his presence. And you guys all have your stories of Brother John. Lucille Walker is a person of his presence. Like, her her dynamic, first of all, sense of style. There's the power of God in her sense of style. But her eternal youthfulness. Like, I I just, she would go out with a lot of the young girls and be, like, trying to get the attention of the waiter because... because she wanted the waiter to meet the young girls that she went out to dinner with. I mean, she, was, she would grab onto any new person that you brought to church and take them out to lunch. But that's not the stuff I actually mean. That is all evidence of it. But her heart for the power of God and her belief in the power of God. She would often be the person to give a prophetic word in tongues that then you would see all the elders scrambling to make sure that somebody could interpret it. But she was a person of his presence. Uh, James and Abby's dad, Wayne Williams, he was a person of his presence. Wayne did things that none of us would do. He took years off work just to pray in tongues. I mean, he lived prophetically. 
It was dynamic. And that's really interesting. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It doesn't always look the way you would design it to be. Remember, God, he's got this thing where he, he is who he is. He's the pillar of fire. He's not trying to suit your Amazon reviews of him, right? So sometimes it looks like Wayne Williams, and sometimes it looks like Lucille Walker. Those two are nothing alike, but it's his presence. The question for you isn't how do you become like Lucille? The question is how do you become your version of a person of his presence. And by the way, with every one of those that we celebrate, by the way, like Lucille's funeral, I didn't get to be there on the second day because we traveled, but they had balloons and it, it was not, it wasn't, we don't grieve as the world grieves. It was different. It was a party. It was a celebration of life. Um, every time though that we lose one of those people in this congregation, what happens if somebody doesn't step up? You know, what if we were to lose that aspect of this congregation? For all of you who are young people, for all of us, how do we earnestly run after that? Because a baton has been passed. It is being passed. It's constantly being passed. And this is a day where we have to start to, to fight for it. Paul writes that this, there is a surpassing greatness in God's power. And that surpassing greatness is a treasure in us. And that treasure will outlast the earthen temple that it dwells in. And that presence will change this earthen vessel more and more to be responsive to the living God, to the presence that's within it. And then one day, you lay down that earthen vessel and you get a new one. A much better one that gets rid of the basic defect, the, the noise in your dryer, and that first edition. This is the gospel. The gospel isn't that just Jesus came and died and now your sins are forgiven. The gospel is that a way has been made for you to come back into the life-giving, dynamic, powerful presence of God. You don't just get to be with a God. You get to be with this God. You don't get to just be with God. You get to be with all that he is. And he is different. He is different. He doesn't just make good church people. He makes people who transform their cities. He is powerful and he is good. So what must we do? What do each of us do to become people of God's presence? I just want to give you quick thoughts. I'm going to cut some of this short so that we get out of here for you. But I'd say three things. One is you need very much an active faith. Think of this as being athletic, a spiritual athlete. Run after the pillar of fire. Run after his presence, okay? So number one is an active faith. Number two is an active emptying of yourself of anything that's not of him. And then number three is an active love. So I'll give just a little bit to each one and then we'll, we'll start to close down. As far as an active faith, there isn't much that Jesus gets more upset about than lack of faith. You know, I mean, he really is on the guys. One time in the youth group meeting, we circled all the times within just two pages that he's getting mad at them of ye little faith. You know, how can you, you know, miss this? Faith was a really big one for him. And you have to think about faith. Faith is a gift. Uh, Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. When God speaks, when God moves, when God communicates to you, if even you just hear a little bit of it and you say, I believe it, and you respond to it, that's faith. That's faith. 
And, and Jesus said about faith that it doesn't take very much to even move entire mountain ranges. Like, so if you've heard one thing, if you've heard one promise, and I want to be really, really careful about this, is part of what makes it faith is the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit that gets a hold of something. Did you know that without the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't even read scripture effectively? Because it takes the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to come into your heart and bring it to life. You start to just read it. You know how sometimes you're reading and you realize you don't even know what you read? It can be that experience unless the Holy Spirit comes in and quickens it to your heart. So what's happening, and if you're looking at how do you build faith, how do you turn into God's word? How do you turn into people who will speak God's word to you? How do you hear God's word as Chris speaks each week from up here as you're doing Bible studies and stuff? But when something hits your heart where you know that God is speaking to you, it could just be one little thing. It could be, you know, they say in China that they will end up with just one page of the Bible in a home church. They'll end up with just one page of scripture, but their entire church is built around that page. It doesn't take volumes. What will you do with what you've heard? And then here's the question is, will you step out into it? Will you be obedient to it? You know, sometimes God says something, yeah, you have to do something, but sometimes you have to not do other things, you know? There's certain things for some of you that God has said things to you in your past that you're not living up to anymore. I, I want to be careful. Not that you're not earning something, but you've, you're ignoring now. You've let it go. But how do you take the things that God has said to you and live them? How do you take your heart and say, I want, I want to hear more? Every once in a while, God will say to me, I don't have a whole bunch more to say to you. You need to do something with what I've already said to you. Be faithful in the little. And I'm not trying to be condemning. God is never holding back. He's just speaking. And when he speaks, there's power in it. And sometimes he's saying, Jamie, you've got to realize that what I've said to you already is very powerful. You know, yes, you want to change the whole world? Learn to love Kathy. Like, yeah, but Lord, I want to do the really big stuff. Learn to love Kathy. He's like, but I love her. I think she's great. He says, no, you have good feelings about her, but learn to love her. But then, you know, what I noticed in my life is the more I learned to love Kathy, he started to use me for bigger things because I learned how to love, which took his help. So first part about faith is it doesn't take much of it. Take whatever you're getting from the Lord, whatever revelation he's giving you, whatever scripture you find and that he's quickening for you and turn and be faithful with it. Be obedient um, we can get used to going from Bible study to Bible study to Bible study, to service to service, prayer time to prayer time, and not take seriously his word. Take seriously what he says. And there's some things that we kind of ignore. <laughs> you know, we can kind of be cherry pickers. Oh, I like all this stuff about blessings, but having to turn and reconcile with somebody who hurt me, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that, you know. There's a lot that a group of you guys, a group of people who have been in church for a long time, there's a lot that God has already said to us and asking for God's grace to be faithful to respond to it. That's part of becoming a people of faith. Without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it's impossible to please God. You guys have seen what it's like. When faith starts to leak for you, it's not pretty, <laughs> you know. Without faith, our job becomes the thing that provides money for us. And it, it, our jobs become our provision. And so you know that's not true, don't you? You know that God is your provision? You know, he uses your job. There's all kinds of stuff. But if you turn your job into your provision, 
you start to worship your job or respond to your job in a way that is not what God has for you. Money becomes the thing without faith that defines our lives and actions. It is what gives us power. Oh, we could go on this vacation. Oh, we could get a nicer house. Instead of the pillar of fire being the thing that defines you. Uh, I, we had our, you know, Sergio and Sarah, they went an entire year without a salary at one point, And they purchased a house during that year. And God blessed them in so many dramatic ways. Um, yeah, God is, God is, the pillar of fire is your provision. Without faith, our relationships become stale or even enabling. We start to try to become everything for each other or to need everything from each other. And that's not really, it's not really what relationships are meant to be. And it's not what they are when they're filled with faith. We start to even not be sure why we come to church. We just see the people, the music, the words, rather than a place where we encounter his life-changing presence and are equipped to practice his presence across the rest of our lives. Without faith, worship becomes chords and lyrics, a performance we sing along with. Without faith, Bible studies become poetic readings that make us marvel at the wit and wisdom of the leader, but they don't draw us into encountering and becoming a people of his presence. All of these things, the word of God, this church, our friendships, our covenant friendships are all part of what binds us, draws us, draws us together in his presence and then his presence gives us the capacity to be true to one another, to fight for each other, to, to have the word of God come alive to us. Without faith, outreach becomes a chance to show a dying world that we don't have any answers either. <laughs> you know, one time I was in a business meeting with the structure, a retail store, and they were dying. Their merchandise was horrible. And all the regional managers and vice presidents said, we need a big advertising push. And one of the leaders got up and said, if we do an advertising push, people will just come in and see how bad we are and we're done. You know? And sometimes that's what our outreach is. We're not coming from his presence. So here, I'm at your doorstep. I have no faith. Like here, I'm your neighbor. I want to invite you to my church. I have no faith. Like you're kind of advertising a pretty weak product, you know, so... With faith, though, it's life-changing. With faith, as you stand before them, God speaks through you. That presence that's been, that is inside you comes through you into their lives, and they are changed. We need faith to become a people of his presence. So I would just say these things. Begin to relentlessly pursue time to seek him. Read what he's already said, and listen to what he'll say today. You may not feel anything, but you have to ask for, beg for, wait for God's spirit to move in your heart and to shine light on the scripture or to give you an impression or a direction to, to take and, and then go for it. You have to obey. Do your best. You know, I, he's not waiting for perfect obedience. The moment you step out there, he'll grab you and help you and it'll be exciting. This, by the way, is not a one-time thing. The, every single part of your life, when you go to work, you're not in a secular environment. You're God's person placed in his presence having to now respond to what he's saying to you there. It's a gymnasium that you're in. And watch what happens. If you start respond to, responding to God in even the most secular work environment, you'll see the glory of God in the presence of God start to transform things. And you'll get paid more. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> you really will. Um, Let's go into the active emptying. Uh, when we don't experience his presence, we cannot help but fill our hearts with other things to console our hearts. 
To become a people of his presence, we'll have to begin to fast these things that the Holy Spirit identifies in our lives to make room for feasting again on his presence. Guess what that means about these guys? This is your favorite thing that has so much power that spends a lot of time distracting you from what it would be to be in his presence. Really learning how not to get rid of these because we'll need them, but how to leave them at the door as you come home or to know how to take, um, to know really how to put these things in submission to the presence of God is pretty important. Your friendships, learning how your friendships serve you becoming a person of his presence and not distract you. Your talents, do you really want the best you can do or would you like to see what he can do, you know? And he'll use your talents. He will use your talents. But, but you want those talents to allow you to participate in his purposes, not to get in the way. Your money, your potential, your thought lives, all of these things, your thought lives. Learning how to stop talking to yourself so much and to turn and talk to him, that is one that just messes with all of us. Media, entertainment, all those kind of things. Can you silence it all? to make room for his presence, for his voice. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So we really do need his active, constant discipleship to break us free from our unyielding, old, carnal nature. The, the click in our dryer. We need to be a group that helps each other, holds each other accountable, exhorts each other, provokes each other to be a people of his presence. Final one, an act of love. When we get into the presence of God, we are transformed by it. You can tell. You can tell when somebody's leading you in worship whether they really honestly are a person of his presence, you can tell. You can tell when somebody's speaking, whether they're just speaking words, good words, cool words, cute words, or whether there's unction and power. You can tell it when somebody invites you into their house. You can tell it when you're in his presence. It's, it's wonderful. There are so many days where I realize that the life that Kathy and I are living is crushing us. It's too big. There's too much. Uh, The attacks seem relentless. The world seems so different than who he is. And when I start to get that way, it gets worse and worse and worse. But if I will come back to him and pursue time alone with him or time with people who are people of his presence, it just changes. He speaks, or he can even sometimes speak without words, and everything changes. You can sense his glorious presence. And it's transformative. It is transformative. It changes everything. He heals us. He fills us with an experience of his love that we've been waiting for our entire lives. We enjoy him. Like, you should enjoy God. Like, something's wrong if you're not. I mean, there are moments where you're getting a spanking and it's not the kind of enjoyment you're thinking of. But, but most of the time, the enjoyment of, his, of him is amazing. But by the way, allowing him to enjoy you You were made for that. You were created that he would come and enjoy you just as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. As you start 
to focus on pursuing his presence, you start to learn his ways. And his ways aren't your ways. And you start to realize things that you think are a good idea don't actually help you. Peter is a great example of this. He keeps saying, we need to build a house. This is perfect. Peter keeps, uh, Jesus keeps having to quiet him. By the way, Peter doesn't necessarily get perfectly better in the New Testament after the book of Acts begins. <laughs> like, Peter has some really big, tough moments then too. So don't worry about being perfect. We have this treasure in styrofoam cups, in earthen vessels, right? But when you start to enjoy his presence or touch his presence or seek his presence, you begin to taste and enjoy who he is. You learn to trust him. You learn to trust that if, no matter what situation you're in, if his presence will come in, it will be okay. If he's spoken, if you change everything in your life, it will be okay. I remember him speaking to me that we were, I was gonna go to Latin America. I was on a music scholarship at school. The next day I changed my major, lost, my, lost whatever I could of getting the financial aid, which was meager that they were offering. And I changed my major to Latin American history because he had spoken. So you just do it, you've gotta do it. But you learn that when you do it, he comes up big. We become more and more captured by his heart, filled with his heart. We become more and more led and limited by his presence. Kathy does a thing with me all the time that I never enjoy. So we'll start to watch something or we'll start to do something and she'll say, I just don't, I don't, I just don't sense his presence in this. It's not always a bad thing. Like there was even one moment where somebody gave us the entire collection of Star Wars DVDs, but the person was very questionable. But I was very glad to have this, this back when DVDs were a big deal because we didn't have streaming. But Kathy just said, ever since it's come into the house, I sense something's wrong. There's something wrong. So I walked like a death procession out through the apartments to go throw it away. I thought, can we give it to somebody else? And she said, no, if it's touching us that way, it'll touch them. I was like, this is awful. Like, what are we doing? This is crazy. But how do you start to be limited by his presence? I have to be honest with you. Kathy does a way better job of teaching me this than I do of ever helping her. But that prophetic sensitivity of if your presence isn't in that, I don't want to be there and it's not going to help me. That would change us as a people. You start to be different and your kids start to be different and your workplace starts to be different. Over time, you'll begin to share his purpose and passion. If your dad likes to fish, guess what you learn? What, you learn a little bit about fishing, don't you? If your dad works at a factory, you learn about factories. But the more you become a person of his presence, you become a person of his passions and of his pursuits. A lot of people think that my life message would be to push people into outreach. It really isn't. I, I really don't care so much about that. I've just found that it's the indicator of whether we have God's heart. That when you really are captured by God's heart, you start to share it, you start to overflow. So I know that none of these things I've said today make you feel really comfortable. <laughs> uh, they don't make me feel comfortable either. But I think as, I, as, as the Lord spoke about this, we don't want to be a religious church. We do want to be a relational church. But I think what we really, really aspire to, what we really, really want is to be a people of his presence. We're with a group of people who have experienced his presence but that doesn't mean that we don't all together on equal footing have to pursue it today. Um, and if you're young and you say, well, I wasn't part of this or that, so am I behind? You're not. 
Today, it's just a question of will you choose him? Will you follow him? And by the way, nothing encourages someone who is older than to watch it happen again in the next generation. And it's actually why we're all here. We're all here to experience it. So I'm going to ask that Justin would come. Justin, it's not my right to tell you your business, but um, Waymaker is a good song. I, I, this is why I'd say that. I'm not always comfortable seeing the song Waymaker with a group of people. Because some, when you're not a people of his presence, it's a boring song. You can kind of tell they haven't experienced it. Waymaker. They'll start to do their little voice, cute and stuff like that. But do you realize what the words are saying? You know, he's, it's talking about what it is to be a people of his presence. And so when you sing that song with a group of people who have experienced his presence, it's different. I think what we're going to do is this. Our first response is probably a we response more than a me response. And so as the song is sung, I think we have a choice to make. I think Chris has been pushing us together towards making choices together to be a people of his presence. It's what Jesus is training them to be. And it's what Jesus is training us to be. So I think there's a point as we're singing the song, I would ask you to make a decision in your heart. Is this the kind of church we want to be? Is this the kind of family you want to be? Is this the kind of congregation or group that we want to be? And we can respond together as we sing. After that, I'll come up to pray for us, and there will be ministry. But then I think you have some decisions. I have some decisions. We, as individuals, the me's in the room, we have some decisions about, is that what you want? Is that what you want? Not just a relationship with God, but a relationship with God, (laughs) with him as he is. And are you ready? Are you ready? He's not mad. He's never mad like that. He's calling you. You may have experienced amazing things, but today he's calling you. So let, let me pray for us and then we'll sing. Would you guys stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, Thank you that your kingdom is a supernatural kingdom. Thank you that you're a supernatural God. Thank you for your power, your transcendent, transforming power. Thank you that you're the God of Jacob, the God of Israel, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Your love endures forever, even until today. Thank you that you, the God who changes everything, who created everything, is you are inviting us as a people to be a people of your presence. And so first, Lord, we invite your presence into this room. You've been here today. We're grateful. But we say, Lord, come. I pray specifically, if there's anything resisting your presence in us as a people, Lord, would you show us what that is and would you take it away? Idolatry pride, pain, hurt, unbelief, anything, anything, ourselves, carnality. Lord, we pray that you would come and you would strip us down to be yours. And we stand in Jesus' name against the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world, who is nothing like any of these things and has no power and nothing to offer but who continually seduces us into distraction. And we stand in Jesus' name and we rebuke you. Satan, we rebuke you. 
These are not your people. That baptismal back there or whatever river or lake or swimming pool that we were baptized in was the end of us being yours. We are people that we serve you and you alone, Jesus. And so we stand against the enemy. We rebuke you. And I stand against any demonic spirit and even generational strongholds. We stand in Jesus' name. We pray that this would be a group of people that find your power to be set free and then to live in your presence. And then, Holy Spirit, we just invite you in right now. Would you lift your voices? If you have a prayer language, you can pray in it. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Jesus. We, We say yes to you. And Jesus, we want your presence. Holy Spirit, we want your presence.